0: Tonight we're joining Saul under the pomegranate tree. Verse 2, Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree. Now one thing that's clear about this scene that we're joining tonight is that it is a bad day for Saul. Saul. We're not going to look at all the reasons why things are so bleak for him. One of them is, certainly, that he's only 600 men. And he has to face 30,000 plus Philistines. So I suspect he's feeling something like Elijah will feel. Whenever at a future time from this, he sits under a juniper tree. But this is no juniper tree that Saul is under tonight. It is the sweet and the very lovely pomegranate tree. He tarried under a pomegranate tree. Now tarrying is a good thing at times. We have to tarry to seek the Lord and to pray and to reflect, to weigh up the situation, to get help from God. Saul is tarrying, whether he's tarrying for that reason, or whether he's tarrying because he's depressed and in despair and doesn't know what to do. And the latter seems more likely. He's in the uttermost part of Gibeah, and he just hardly knows what to do. He's at a loss, but nevertheless, he is here under the pomegranate tree. Now, it seems to me to be a very strange thing why the Holy Spirit would record this. Now things like this intrigue me, and I'm sure that they do you as well. Why even mention the kind of tree it is? What would the purpose be in that? Why even mention that he's under a tree at all? I mean, would we really lose that much if we didn't get that bit of information it was a pomegranate tree that he was under? So that interests me. And as Saul tarried under it, That's what I want to do tonight. Tarry under the pomegranate tree. What did he see? What is he thinking about? Let's look up what he looked up at. What did he see? Is its fruit on it? What does the tree make him think about? Does it help his thoughts? Does it guide his thoughts? What are his reflections at the time? And, of course, being under a tree is a time for reflection. In the Bible, the people who were under the tree often meditated, often had a meeting with God under the tree. Abram, Nathaniel. So it's, it's a bad day, and maybe this is a good thing, to be under the pomegranate tree, if he's seeking the Lord and reflecting. It's good to pray and reflect in a bad day under the pomegranate tree. And that's what he should have been doing, you know. Of course he should have been doing that. He should have been looking around him. He should have been aware of this tree. He should have been getting encouragement from it. If he would but opened his eyes, even the tree might have spoken to him. We've lost the art of what I call associative and reflective meditation on things around us in relation to God's word. Unto the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't reflect on nature. We don't think. You know we see someone casting out the seed. In the field and we don't see anything. We look at trees and see nothing. We look at birds and we see nothing. We walk for miles and miles in the country and see nothing. We sit at the river edge. With a willow tree and have a picnic. And all we see is our sandwich. We don't reflect. We don't meditate. We don't consider the creation. We're too used to the pixel screen. And we're more like robots. Cold, soulless robots. But in ancient times, they weren't like that. In Bible times, particularly good men who knew and loved the Lord, who read providence with the scriptures in in their hand and found things to reflect upon. The wise reflected on their surroundings and they reflected on nature and they could even draw honey out of cold hard rock. We've lost the art of that of seeing something in the majestic creation that is about us. There's something sacred in that pomegranate tree, I think. Something about the Lord who gave it its life, its beauty, its fruit, its crying out. Nature cries out. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. It cries out. If we but heard it. It's talking. Not in the usual way of talking of course. But it is saying something. Listen to these words of Jesus. These are amazing. I tell you that. If they should hold their peace. The stone would immediately cry out. Stones cry out? Can stones do that? Jesus said it, not me. Jesus said it. The stones cry out. That's the truth. Now, they don't cry out the way we do. And the stones can cry out. Can not a pomegranate tree cry out? There's something sacred about nature. Creation. God is in creation. Manifesting his glory. In the Sabbath school on the Lord's Day, I asked the children, which would you rather have in your garden? A telegraph pole or a tree? They all got the right answer, of course. (laughs) They all wanted a tree in their garden. They had no hesitation in, in answering that. And I asked them, well, why? Why are we drawn to the tree and not the telegraph pole? What is there about that? Well, the tree is communicative. The telegraph pole just carries communications. But the tree itself is communicative. It cries out, it says, I'm God made, not man made. I'm a miracle. I'm a miracle, just a little seed. But look at me now. Look at the leaves, the changing colors. Look at all the shapes and the sizes, all, all the different variety, and the fruit. And the miracle that is happening inside me with the water coming up and all the minerals. And I'm giving out that oxygen that you need to live as humankind. It's a miracle it's crying out. It's sacred. It's revealing something of God. But we don't hear. We don't see. We don't think. We don't consider. It's just a tree. That's all. And we give that name to millions and millions and millions of others. But behind every tree is the eternal locus. Because that tree was first in the mind of the eternal Logos When he made all things, it came out of his mind. Every tree is a miracle. Every tree is a wonder. There's something of God in every tree. But in that pole, that telegraph pole, that's just man cut down a tree and a dead bit of stick and it's man's work. That's like nothing to God's work. Just take the life of our Lord. He didn't go to the rabbinical schools. He didn't have a study and a library full of books. There was no such a thing in Nazareth. What good comes out of Nazareth? Don't even have a library of books. Can any good thing come out of there? But he did have the scriptures. He had the synagogue, which he was his custom to to go to every week. He had access to the word of God. He could probably go to the synagogue and read it. Of course, the Lord gave the word. But we're talking about his humanity. He had to read the word. And search the word. And study the word and memorize scripture. And his other book was the heavens declaring the glory of God. And the firmament showing his father's handiwork. And he could read that too. He looked and he read that. Just study the Lord's teachings. He observed all that was going right. Behold, a sword was worth the soul. Plants, the lilies, barrel falling, how much were even sold for in the marketplace. Everything he observed. He had this marvelous ability. He especially noted what is before us tonight trees. How many times he brought them into his parables. How many times he refers to them. You remember he cursed the figless fig tree. Do you ever think of why he did that? He saw something. He heard something. That fruitless fig tree was talking to him. It was saying something to him. He had to go and curse it. He responded to the tree. He heard something. It showed him something. And he had to respond in the way That he did. Remember, he said, Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. And the Lord knew the fruits of the tree, he knew his trees. The last Adam was focused on trees. The first Adam was too. We know that. Satan was as well. Trees had a fascination for the first Adam and a fascination for Eve, and a fascination for the devil. And it was under a tree that Adam and Eve fell. The Bible begins with trees, and it ends with trees in the book of the Revelation. There's a whole theology of trees in the Bible, from beginning to end. The Bible is as much full of trees as as the earth is full of forests. The last Adam died on under Trees, trees everywhere. Christ and the Christian are each like a tree. Isn't that how the Psalter begins? He'll be like a tree. I mean, if you don't know anything about trees, you might as well not go into the Psalter. You have to begin at the trees to gain some sort of insight into the Psalter. Like a tree. I want to be like a tree. The trees of the Lord are full of salt. The Lord is always using trees. Always talking about trees. So let no one tell you trees are meaningless and silent nothings to the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit writes down under a pomegranate tree. And we can't run past that, can we? He turned under a pomegranate tree. Is not the Holy Spirit saying, you do that too. You tarry under the pomegranate tree. If the Holy Spirit points out a tree, we have to sit up and give attention. And so the Lord is drawing us tonight to this. I trust. As I said, the Lord knew his trees. But more importantly, he knew the people who were under them. You remember Nathaniel? Nathaniel was completely blew away by what the Lord said to him. How do you know me? Jesus answered and said, "Before the Philip called thee when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. He didn't just see the fig tree, he saw Nathaniel under the fig tree, as he sees Saul under the pomegranate tree now. And there's a significance in that to Nathaniel. He says, "Thou art the heart of Christ, the king, the Son of God. Because I said I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. So it made an interesting effect upon Nathaniel that the Lord saw him under the fig tree. Study the people under the trees in the Bible. A lot of things happened under trees. But we are with Saul tonight. Now some of the Jews in the past have believed that the pomegranate fruit was the fruit that Eve ate. And gave to her husband. Some of the Jews. Have been of the opinion that. It's the forbidden fruit. Before the fall. I doubt it. But they thought it some of them. Perhaps they base it on this. Here's Saul. He's fallen. He's lost all. He's lost the kingdom. He's like Adam. It's just He's, he's thrown it all away. And he's pictured under the pomegranate. So, maybe based on that, the Jews have said, it's the forbidden fruit. It's the fruit that made them fall. And here Saul pictures that. I don't know about that. But there is some kind of identification and association here that has to be at least mentioned. But what is he looking at? Is it in fruit? I think it must be, which is why it's mentioned. Pomegranate tree. It's a powerful saint. What did he see? I suspect he saw nothing at all. Just fruit. I suspect he didn't reflect on it. Not one bit. But we're not going to be like him. We're going to reflect. We're going to look up. With our Bibles. And meditate. And see what we can see. If we ask the tree. It will teach us. It's too late for Saul. He's dead and buried. He didn't get any benefit from it. But we are here, and the Holy Spirit has put it before us. Surely we can get some benefit from it. And maybe you're a bit down today. Maybe it's a bad day for you. And the Lord has brought you under the pomegranate tree. Don't be like Saul. Get no benefit from it. The Lord has something to say to us. And as we look up and we see all this beautiful fruit, these red pomegranates hanging what do we see? see? Jesus. We always see Jesus. He's all we want to see in the Bible. And so we must see Jesus. And so to save time and come to the heart of the matter we will not focus on the tree itself, which is a very beautiful tree, wonderfully textured, the bark and the golden bark and the leaves. Scarlet and orange in color. But there's nothing outshines all sights. Like the sight of a pomegranate laden with scores and scores of pomegranates. If Saul looked out of that position, it ought to be cheering to him. It ought to have encouraged him. It ought to have stirred his soul. It ought to remind him of the goodness and the greatness of God. And there's no fruit like the pomegranate. And the pomegranate in the mind of the Jews was a fruit that looked nearest to the human heart. It's a heart. Bustling with life. Full of seed. That's what the word pomegranate means. It's a Latin word. It's not the Hebrew, of course. But pomegranate is a Latin word. It's a Latin compound, which means apple seeded. Loaded with seeds. You know, an apple, you just get a few, half a dozen wee seeds in the middle of it. But the pomegranate has hundreds, hundreds of seeds. It's unique, it's special. Full of seed, rich seed held together with redness. Redness. And the juice of it is blood red. Redness. That's why it got its way into the tabernacle and into the temple. And the very fact that this fruit, beyond all others, made its way into the tabernacle and into the temple, tells us that it points to Christ who tabernacled among us. Its first mention in the Bible is most interesting. It occurs in Exodus in the description of the Hem. Of the high priest garment. Yes. Saul knew that. He probably even seen it at times. The hem of the high priest garment. Looking up at that fruit. He would think. If he did think. As he ought to think. High priest's. Glorious garments. Sacrifice. And intercession. Of the high Priest. Priest, And the description is given twice in Exodus of the high priest's garments. Chapter 28 and chapter 39. And at the hem of the garment thou shalt make pomegranates of blue and of purple and of scarlet round about the hem thereof and bells of gold between them round about. A golden bell and a pomegranate. A golden bell and a pomegranate. You see the repetition. Trying to produce the sound. As he swears. A golden bell and a pomegranate. A golden bell and a pomegranate. There's music. There's something glorious. Even in the way the high priest swears. And between the bells. Is the fruit of this tree pictured. A pomegranate. The pomegranate is surrounded by the golden bells. The golden bells enclose the pomegranate in the hem of the high priest's garment. And he has to it on the hem. And the sound has to be heard. And when he goeth in unto the holy place, the sound has to be heard. And when he comes out, the sound has to be heard that he die not. So it's clearly identified with Christ, the high priest, who ever lives for his people, who walks for his people, who sacrifices himself for his people, who intercedes for his people. When ministers in the sanctuary then as the high priests, picturing Christ, the pomegranate will will undoubtedly remind us of that. That's why I see Jesus. I think this must be why we're told under a pomegranate tree. Now I'm not saying that I've been able to draw all out. I don't think so at all. I'm only touching and scratching the surface here. But there certainly is something here in the mind of the Holy Spirit and we have to endeavor to get to it. You're this pomegranate. Because he carries them in. Into the holy place. Just as the breastplate and the names and the shoulder plates so hanging to the hem of this garment. You remember her who touched the hem of this garment and was made whole. She clung onto the hem of this garment as we all do by faith. And he carries us in. He carries us in in our union to Jesus Christ. So the Pamiran pictures Christ, but it also pictures us. So there are riches here for meditation. Now in the Temple of Solomon, the two prominent pillars, Jachin and Boaz, they were covered with, guess what? Hundreds of pomegranates. Even in the modern age, they call the pomegranate a superfruit. At least it got that right, if it got very little else in this modern age. A good mature plant, pomegranate tree, might produce well over 100 pomegranates. And every pomegranate, everyone looking like a heart, is filled with hundreds and hundreds of seeds. The rabbis used to say that a perfect pomegranate contains 613 seeds. Some are reputed to go way beyond that, the rabbis say that it has the same number as the number of the commandments in the law of Moses. Thy word have I hid in my heart. I delight to do thy law. Yea, thy law is within my heart, like a pomegranate. The 613 commandments of the Torah in his heart. Christ. And so these. Pomegranates are, are full of life. Hundreds of seeds. Every tree having the potential of producing a 100,000 more trees. Just think of that. All that potential. 100,000 more seeds. Trees. Life. Abundant life. Life pouring out. Life flowing out. Life multiplying abundantly. Of course, we're not surprised that the pomegranate is one of the fruits of the promised land. There were seven of them. Wheat, barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. The seven fruits. And it was one of the fruits that was carried back. Not all of them were carried back, but it was one of the fruits that was carried back along with the grapes. Carried back to the camp. The seven fruits. You'll notice that it's number five in the list. Because it is especially identified with grace. Picturing the life-giving grace. The life-multiplying grace of God. Picturing Christ full of life. Eternal life. Abundant life. Picturing him full of grace as well as full of life. The juice of it is red, as I said, reminding us that Christ's life and grace flows to us. If it does flow to us, it must flow to us by his blood. It is the symbol of abundance there. Hundreds of seed in every pomegranate. It brings forth much, brings forth many. Like Christ's death. He shall see a seed. And I tell you, it's not like a few wee seeds in the apple corn. It's like the abundant seed of the pomegranate. A seed shall serve him. An abundant seed that no man can number of all tongues and kindreds. It is a particularly a symbol of his resurrection from the dead. He didn't come forth alone, he's the firstborn of many. And there are abundance of seed that come forth with him. Even his people. And he carries every one of them into the holy place. And all of them are clinging to the hems of his garments. For salvation. Doesn't that encourage us? Have you had a bad day? You've Christ. And he bears you. And he carries you into the holy place. And he loves you. And you're his seed. And he's bought you with his precious blood. You belong to him. The first of many. A seed shall serve him. Remember how the Lord said. Except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. It abideth alone. But if it die. It bringeth forth. Much. Much fruit. Much seed. Abundant seed. And Jesus says, Behold, I and the children, I am the seed that you have given me. So many of them, Lord. they can't be counted like the stars in multitude, like the sand by the seashore, innumerable. He shall see his seed. I think it is suggestive of the heart. And I think those Jews aren't far from the mark who see it as a picture of an enlarged heart. The pomegranate. It is like that, the valve, you cut into it, the chambers. It's like a heart in appearance and structure, an oversized heart, a large heart. And in medieval times, the pomegranate was a symbol of love. It is interesting that God has already referred to his heart in chapter 13. And he's also remembered Saul about his heart. A man after my heart. Did not Saul see that? That rose pomegranate hanging down there. Did he not think God's heart? Would you not reconsider Saul? Would you not stop your rebellion? And make yourself at one with the heart of God. As you tarry under this pomegranate tree. Did he see that? I suggest he should have saw that. The heart. The heart of God, the heart of Christ. And it is interesting that in the Song of Solomon, we meet the pomegranate abundantly. And what is the Song of Solomon about? It's the Song of Love. One of his best songs. And it's got into the book. He wrote thousands of songs, but one got into the book, and it's the best song because it's the Song of Love. And it's full of pomegranates. So the medieval people aren't far off the mark, I don't think, when they say that. Of course, they love the Song of Solomon, the best of believers in medieval times. There's a famous painting that exists. There's a picture of baby Jesus. And he has holding in front of his heart an open pomegranate. As if To say this is my destiny. To have an opened heart. A pierced heart. For his people. For his people. And you remember that Jesus Christ. His side was pierced. There came out blood and water. The life came out. The life was poured out. Life and death coming forth. His people coming out of his heart. You remember Eve come out of Adam's side. That's where we came from. Out of his side with the blood and the water. As he bought us. Possessed us. Remade us in the new birth. Out of his side, out of his heart. Full of life, full of seed. He'll see a seed and he pours out his heart. I don't know what I've got down to the depths of all of this. But there's something here, I have no doubt about it. Christ. Christ. And so the church was born from his side. He died. Yes, he died. But he sees his seed. And what a seed it is. At the Passover, the Jewish Mishnah states How shall the paschal lamb be roasted? The Paschal lamb must not be roasted with an iron roasting spit. You couldn't put an iron bar through a lamb to roast it. The Mishnah says the spit must be made of wood, of the pomegranate granite tree. It should be taken and put in at the mouth and brought out at the vent there. Of. Now, of course, we would love to know on what kind of tree Jesus was crucified. We're not told. And I don't suppose it was a pomegranate tree, but this we do believe that the paschal lambs were impaled on pomegranate tree branches. The Mishnah states it at the time of Christ. In fact, the early Christians. Uh, they say that in actual fact, not only did it go through the mouth and through the vent of the lamb, but it pinned the two rear feet and pinned the two front paws of of the animal so that it was literally crucified on a pomegranate branch. This is remarkable. It was literally crucified on a tree, on a stick. How that picture's dress and Paul said Christ our Passover lamb is crucified for us he fulfills it that's interesting then that, that the pomegranate should be identified with that and the heart and the blood and the seed all of that of course you may say this is just your imagination maybe so. But I trust sanctified imagination. Brings us to Christ. We see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. It's sweet and sweet tasting. And Christ is sweet. And there's none so sweet as him. Never so sweet as when he dies for us on the cross. As when he's crucified for us. We taste the most sweetest of all the earth. And what was said of the apple tree in the Song of Solomon might equally be said of the pomegranate. As the apple tree among the trees of the woods, so was my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. That's what I see when I look up at this pomegranate tree. It's delight. But Saul sadly. He sees no delight. I suspect he sees nothing at all. He doesn't want to see the heart of the Lord. He's heard enough about the heart of God. He wants to forget that. Not be reminded about it. We want to be reminded about God's heart. We want to be reminded of the heart that was melted in the midst of his bowels for us We want to be reminded of that. And if I have to look up at a pomegranate to be reminded of it, I'm very happy to do that. I hope it's a blessing to your soul. I hope it's cheered you. Has it been a bad day? Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. I trust you've seen him. Abraham rejoiced to see his day and was glad, but sadly, not Saul, not Saul. Saul. It's never said of Saul, Saul's heart is shut to the one in God's heart. But ours is not. Ours is open to him. And we see him. Whom our soul loveth. And we see his day. Even in a pomegranate tree. We see Christ. So what I'm saying, congregation, is you're Christ's seed. You belong to him. He has you in his heart. He bears you in his heart. He carries you, his seed, bound in the redness of his blood, in his Calvary love, who loved us and who gave himself for us, and who bears us within the veil. And the gospel bells ring in our ears all the time. Every Sunday you hear the gospel bells ringing in your ears. The Lord doesn't stop you hearing the gospel bells all the time ringing in your ears and hearing about this great high priest that you belong to by faith. And the pomegranate just brings all this imagery to our minds. I'm his. He's mine. Rejoice then and go home rejoicing. That's what Saul should have said. How are they increased the trouble? Thousands and thousands of those things. How are they multiplied that rise up against me? Many there be that say of my soul, there's no help for me in God under this pomegranate tree. But Saul should have said, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. The lifter up of my head and you've made me to see these pomegranates. Has the Lord lifted up your head tonight? Have you seen the Lord in the pomegranate?